Anyway, I'm going to struggle every time we come out to that. Just be like, man, everybody get to your feet. Uh, no. <laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. Again, everybody watching online, we're excited that you're with us as we start a new series called The Beatitudes. And uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Jordan. I'm the senior pastor here at Northwood Church. And, uh, and again, just, just really excited that you're here with us today. Um, it's going to be a good day. I do know that there's like music playing right now. I knew I felt it. Oh, I felt it. Okay, good. Cool. Actually, that might be kind of fun, like just a whole sermon, just preached with like a little bit of music just going on, you know? I feel like we're in the elevator, but um, hopefully I'm not the awkward guy in the elevator with you though. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get in the elevator and you hope the person doesn't look at you or talk to you, but then inevitably you feel them and they kind of just go like, hey man, and just like, what's up bro? You know, it's like, this weather, huh? It's like, Dude, we're doing this, aren't we? <laughs> you know? Anyway, no, hope I'm not the awkward elevator guy. But anyway, uh, super, super excited you're all with us today. If it's your first time here, we are excited that you're here with us. Hope that you feel welcome and, uh, and, and just realize that we're a bunch of regular people here at church loving Jesus. And so, so today... Beatitudes, really excited about this sermon series. We're gonna be in uh, the Beatitudes for about, uh, collectively about two and a half months. We'll have a couple of weeks here and there that uh, we're gonna be taking a break from the series. But um, I think that this series, it's very, very practical. But at the same time, I believe that the series is gonna really renovate the way that you see a lot of things um, about the Beatitudes. Because how many of you have ever heard of Beatitudes? Most of you, okay, some of you are like, I don't even know what that word is and I can barely read it because like the trees and stuff, like I don't even know, is that a word? Like they, they forgot to put the other T in attitudes. What's going on here, right? Um, well, we hope to bring some clarity to what this word is and what it's all about. But it's, uh, it starts in Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter five through chapter seven is, uh, is, one of, is, is Jesus' his longest sermon recorded and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he, is, uh, he starts off with these, with these beatitudes. And so that's really what we're going to be covering over the next couple of months. Um, and it's, it's found in the first 12 verses of chapter 5, but it's also the foundation for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And here's the, the kind of the big thing that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching what an ideal Christian looks like. All right? This past uh, Wednesday night, we had our first Wednesday service, and kind of the header over all of the different things that we talked about was what is discipleship? And we talked about discipleship being somebody that is a student or a follower of Jesus. Uh, and, and not just a student of just, just kind of who Jesus was, but a student of the things that Jesus taught, which was his, his doctrine and his precepts, what to believe and then how to act on that, how to act in life. And the Beatitudes sort of lay that out in a, in a very... Uh, a different type of way. And you'll know what I mean as we get into this. And, um, but he teaches what the ideal Christian looks like. And Jesus gives his own description of what his followers are to be and do. And so it's kind of one of those messages where it's like, don't take my word for it. 
I'm not here to just tell you a bunch of things to do and be. We're going to talk about what Jesus said to all of us about what he wanted us, wants us to be and do, right? So I think one of the big concepts that we also need to understand is that Jesus wants his disciples, his followers, the students of who he is, to be motivated by the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. Okay, and this is a concept that, that you really got to understand to understand the Bible, like as a whole. Because if not, the Ten Commandments and any other laws that you know, the, all the over 600 laws that are in the Old Testament, all of those laws become do's and don'ts, not out of a, out of a heart of love, right? So, so people can get the letter of the law, which is okay, the task list of things to do and not do, but they don't get the heart of it. It's sort of like speed limits, Sort of like speed limits. On the way here, every single one of you probably broke the law. I'm gonna assume at some point, the speed limit was 35 and you went 37. And you felt like you were doing good, but you still broke the law. And many of you are like, speed limits are suggestions. And I was going with the flow, going with the traffic. You know what I'm saying? And then you have like this whole thing that you're gonna justify yourself if a cop pulls you over, be like, I, I didn't even realize what was going on. I was just, I was going with the flow, right? We, we all have that thing. Um, when, uh, when I was 16, I had just got my license. This is the, one of the dumbest things that I've done as, as a human being. Um, so just transparent today, being transparent today. But I, um, y'all know Mays Road back here? Mays Road, just a nice little neighborhood road, 25 miles an hour. I was 16 and uh, I was riding my mom's Taurus wagon. Let's go. Black, that's right had my uh, CD player that was plugged into the tape deck. You know what I'm talking about. I had the fancy CD player too. Like you could drop it and it wouldn't skip. Like I was doing it, had my visor backwards. <laughs> so, so cheesy. Um, but I was coming home one night and I was coming home from Sonic because that's where all, that's where we hung out, Sonic. Give me that, was it ocean water? Anyway, uh, and I had to be home at 9.30 and it was 9.29. And I could not be late, could not be late. And so I get on Mays Road right here, a little shortcut home. And I'm like, I, I got to get home or like I'm gonna get it, right? So somehow, some way I justified in my mind that it was okay to speed, but not just like speed, like put my, myself and everyone else in danger. And I floored it, floored it, like drag race, here we go, floored it. Any guess to what speed I got up to? 70, that's pretty bad. Oh, y'all, it was bad, it was bad. I topped 90 miles an hour. Y'all, if you've been on Maze, you know. That is, I think, I thought y'all knew this. You didn't, you didn't know this? You didn't, no. I thought we've talked about this. I genuinely, I genuinely thought that we had this conversation. <laughs> no. Oh, I could have swore that. My parents are over here, by the way, in case you didn't know. Really? I, w I should have let you guys know. 60. No, that's when I got the ticket. I was going 55. Two weeks later. No. <laughs> True story. True story. Um, it's probably why they, they had a speed trap there. So I go 90 miles an hour and, and got home in time, walked in, took my visor off. It was all good. 
<laughs> that was a good, I mean, the visor, if you were around, you know the visor backwards was the thing. But anyway, why did I do that? Well, number one, I was an idiot, but, um, you know, I mean, come on, let's be honest. But number two, I didn't understand the spirit of the law. All I knew was the letter of the law. And as long as I didn't caught breaking the law, didn't get caught, I'm good. I'm good. But why is the speed limit 25? It's for the safety of everybody in that whole area, for the safety of myself and the people who live there. It's not just somebody was like, oh, let's be mean and put speed limits everywhere. No, it's, it's so that way we can have a safe environment that's actually conducive to life long-term. Like that's the goal. But we just see it as like the letter of the law, but we have to get the heart of the law. Now, the older that you get, eventually, if you have your own kids, like they're in the car with you, you're not just like, I'm gonna see how fast I can go. You're like, I, I wanna, be, wanna be safe. If I'm going through a neighborhood and so a kid rides a bike out, like I wanna be able to stop, right? Like that's the heart of the law. And Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying, hey, I want you guys to get the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Not just here's my list of things to do, but this is why I want you to do them. This is, this is why I want you to be this way. And so I think it's a big concept as we move through this whole series that we have that. But there's two concepts that we also need to clarify before we, we move into the scripture. One is what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Uh, in chapter four, Jesus, he says, um, he, he begins his ministry and it says in, in verse 17 that from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the kingdom of heaven is really the authority or the rule or the reign of God really over all creation, over the universe, but also the hearts of God's people. It's his, his authority, his rule, his reign. And uh, after the fall, we had Adam and Eve and, and they, they fell in the garden and sin entered into the equation. We lost access to the kingdom of God where there was a, a pure connection to Jesus, pure connection to God and, and his presence and to the abundant life of the kingdom of God. Uh, sin caused us to lose that access. And so Jesus has come to reestablish our relationship to God and to his kingdom. And he's calling people to repent and to submit to this new kingdom. Now repent means to turn from something but to turn to something. It's two things at the same time. So he's like, repent from the kingdom of the world and turn to the kingdom of God. And that's his, his message. So the abundant life though of living in the kingdom of God, a lot of times is referred to as being blessed, spiritually blessed. So the other thing we need to determine is what does blessed mean? Because we throw that word around all over the place. I'm blessed, too blessed to be stressed, like blessed, blessed. And, but what does blessed actually mean? Well, the word beatitudes means blessed. So there's your answer there. Beatitudes, blessed. And this word blessed, it does mean happy. Okay, it means happy. It means, it means being in a, a good state. It also means favored by God, being favored by God. But it's a perfect happiness that's not based on temporary circumstances. And I think that would be the main thought the difference between kind of how we define blessed nowadays and what it really means. It's, it's not about just this, uh, you know, thin kind of uh, emotional happiness only. It's, it's actually about a deep happiness that's based on something uh, eternal. And so in this time, the pagan culture used the term happy. They use this term beatitudes. And so Jesus is using this word 
speaking it to people that know, they know what this word means. It means, and, 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 I, and I guess for us, if we use the word happy, that would kind of be for us. Like, like I've heard it a thousand times. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Like, I just want to wake up in the morning and feel happy. I want to go to bed at night and feel happy. I want to go to a job that I feel happy to go to. I want to be married to somebody that I just feel happy. Just happy, 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 happy. And even though we know that life's not going to be always like that, it's like I've got to make everything just right so that way I could just be happy. It's like a pursuit, the pursuit of happiness. That's what we want. And I think that that's something that God, to a certain extent, has put in our hearts, to be happy. But Jesus defines, or I should say redefines and broadens what this really means, this, uh, this word blessed. And then he says, this is what it really means to be blessed and highly favored, right? Say that a lot, Christians. I'm blessed and highly favored. What does that actually mean? Well, Jesus is gonna determine to us what it means. Now, here's the deal. For some of you, if you've been in church a long time, you've heard the Beatitudes probably talked about. And, and I think that as we look at what Jesus really meant in these things, that, that for some of you, your perspective is gonna get challenged. You're gonna see it from a different angle, which is what I love when it comes to the word of God is I love to, I read it at face value and then as you begin to dig deeper, you begin to see the nuances and maybe what Jesus really meant by some of the things that he taught. And so today is gonna be one of those things, but what he said was countercultural then and what he said is still countercultural now. He said stuff like the last will be first, the first will be last, and it's more blessed to give than to receive and Right? He, I think one of the worst things he said uh, was to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you and persecute you. And none of us like those verses. That's why we like to skip over them. I don't see many people like forward that on Instagram. I don't know why, but, but he, he, that's what he taught. And there was, there's always a different angle. And I think it goes to show to us today that there's, there's always a different angle with God. And, and just when we think we have it all figured out, there's another angle. You had the, the Jewish people at that time, they, they kind of thought they had God to a certain extent figured out. You had the pagans who did, had no understanding of God whatsoever, but you had people that kind of felt like they had it figured out and Jesus comes in and he shoots the gap and he brings a new message and ultimately he is starting and ushering in a new kingdom. And so the big idea today though, is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt apart from God's grace and mercy. The kingdom that we're talking about, it belongs to those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. Today, if I had a title, it would be the blessing of bankruptcy. The blessing of bankruptcy. And obviously I'm not talking about financially because nobody, agrees with that, but we're gonna talk about something a little bit deeper than that. Matthew chapter five, verse one says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. Verse two, he opened his mouth and taught them. All right, you got it pictured in your head. There's a mountain, Jesus has a bunch of people that are following. They're wanting to listen to what he has to say. He goes as a rabbi and he sits down and he begins to teach the people. And the first thing that he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it sounds like a contradiction, blessed are the poor Happy are the poor. That doesn't really make sense. But the two words that follow the word poor is really what qualifies or describes the word poor. It's poor in spirit. Poor here doesn't mean materially poor. It means spiritually poor. 
spiritually poor. It's, it's used in the same way as in Isaiah chapter 61, whenever it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This word poor, that was a prophecy of the Messiah, of the anointed one to come. And, and he says that this, 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 this anointed one, this Messiah, is going to preach good news to the poor. And as you read the whole chapter, you begin to realize that what he's talking about is the poor in spirit ultimately. And that the, the nation of Israel and ultimately the true Jews, the true church today would be saved by this anointed one. That the, the broken hearted to bind them up, to set free those who are in captive and enslaved, speaking about those who were enslaved to sin. Speaking to the, the main thing. And a lot of people take these verses and they begin to, to use them to create movements that, that kind of miss the point. They miss the point. The situation that we really have is that we are spiritually broken and that we are, we are depraved and that we are spiritually poor. That is our main problem. It's not that I don't have my house paid off. It's not even that my health isn't where I want it to be. That's actually not the main problem. Those are problems and I'm not demeaning those, but, but you guys get what I'm saying. There is something that is also going on that is actually greater than these things. And so what he's not saying is blessed are the spiritually poor as in spiritually unhealthy. Let me make sure that we, we understand that. He's not saying blessed are those who are spiritually unhealthy. No, he's saying blessed are those that recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt in and of themselves apart from God. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Blessed are those, happy are those. And he's also saying, recognize this, that those who are truly following him, they recognize that they're spiritually poor sinners and that they're dependent on God's grace. They're dependent on God's mercy for salvation. And if you really truly realize this, you're blessed. You're blessed. You've had a revelation of this. And it also says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What it means by that is theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning that the kingdom of heaven is made up of or it consists of people who really understand that. Who really understand that. I think that in our world today, a lot of people don't understand this. The majority of our world believes that if I am good enough, if I act good enough, that I can attain some sort of standard that then I will be blessed or I will find favor in God's sight merely upon the way that I act. And that is not true. It's never been true. And that's why if you, if you, if you don't get the heart of the law, you'll misconstrue all of it. You'll misconstrue the, what Jesus is even saying here. Some people take blessed are the poor and they decide that what that means is I should go and sell everything that I have because to have anything means that I'm not blessed, truly. And it's, that's poverty gospel. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Others think that blessed means I have everything that I want and, and, and more and that proves that the favor of God is upon my life. And that is not true either. 
These verses are not pointing to that. Jesus is shooting the gap again. And he's realigning our minds around what really matters. The kingdom of God is made up of people who know this. So I have a question for you. Are you aware of your spiritual poverty apart from God? Are you? Now listen, don't think about your person next to you, your buddy, right? Your sister, like somebody, man, like I wish so-and-so was here right now to hear this, man. They really need this. No, are you, are you aware that you're spiritually poor apart from God? That moment where you recognized your spiritual bankruptcy. It's sort of like the moment that you, um, uh, maybe, maybe some of you have done this before. <laughs> I've never done this. <laughs> but where you, uh, you go to your bank account, <clears throat> like online, and you pull it up, or maybe you go with your ATM card back in the day, and you go to withdraw some cash, and, and you get like the horrible message that you have overdrafted. That moment of, of emptiness where you realize that like, you don't have money. Come on. Some of you are like there right now, okay? It's like, I know what that feels like. Before that moment, you felt like, man, I could go out to eat. I could buy that thing. I could do whatever until you realize that you have no cash in the bank. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're confronted with, am I going to change my actions based upon this new information? How is this going to affect the way that I spend money? I think in the same way, every single one of us have to have that moment where we hit a wall in our effort and in our action and in our trying to be good and morally good before God, and we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. We're overdrafted, y'all. And whenever we realize that, how does that change the way that we live? How does that change the way that we view our days? How does that change the way that we, we see God and we see people? Because I, I just believe if we don't have that one of those, I believe it's one of those first steps. It's like learning your ABCs. If you don't get that, then everything else doesn't fall out correctly. And in this day of basically just like this Buddhism type mindset, this like new agey humanistic thing that we got going on in, all over the world, it's infiltrating the church. It's infiltrating the true disciples. And so people feel like if I'm just good enough, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And Jesus just didn't teach that. Does it matter how we live? Absolutely. Absolutely, but again, we have to start on the right foot. Recently, uh, this past week, actually, uh, my brother-in-law, his wife, and, and uh, some other friends, they went to uh, Montana. They went on a trip to Montana, and um, uh, they took all these pictures, you know, of, of the, the mountains and, and all this stuff, and it was just beautiful. And uh, we were talking about those pictures this past week, and um, Brent said, he said, I mean, the pictures are, are nice and everything, he said, but it, it, it just doesn't do justice at all to what we saw. Like, it, it, just, it just doesn't do justice. Because when you actually stand there and you actually see the bigness of what's going on, you know, you, you just, you, you feel so small, right? And I believe the same thing happens whenever we truly seek God for who he is. Whenever we truly have a moment like I'm talking about right now, we see the bigness of God, we see his power, we see his holiness, 
We see his purity and it changes something in us. You know what it causes us to be? Completely humble. Completely humble. And it, be, and it causes us to realize that we need someone else other than ourselves to place to be. Spiritual humility, spiritual brokenness. And Jesus is like, blessed are those people. In the, in the Bible, we see other examples whenever people had this moment. When Isaiah, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he says, woe is me. Woe is me, I am unclean. Why? He saw, he saw purity. He saw holiness. He experienced the presence of God. The, the, he had access to who God was. And then because of that, he saw who he was. Peter, Jesus performs a miracle. Peter sees it. Peter just says, Jesus, just depart from me. Just get away from me. Not because he didn't want Jesus to be around, because he just felt who he really was. He had an understanding, a revelation of his bankruptcy. When John in the, in the book of Revelation sees Jesus, it says that he fell down as though he were dead. As though he were dead. Completely surrendered. I think some people think that if they saw God, they would just give him like a fist bump or something. And I'm a homeboy. <laughs> I don't see John saying, what's up boy? Like, what's up? No. Completely humble and broken, he realized who he was. Whenever you encounter God, you realize your condition. Whenever you actually encounter God, you realize your condition. And, and, and we've got to understand our condition as people. Spiritually bankrupt, no hope apart from the mercy and grace of God, no true vision, no true life, or all that we have is what we have in this life, which can be really good apart from God, by the way. You can have a wonderful life in this life apart from Jesus, but not eternally, not eternally. So when this happens, we have one of two responses to this. We have one of two responses to spiritual bankruptcy. Number one is this, we can humbly accept and repent. That could be our first response, humbly accept and repent. And Jesus says that if you do that, you're blessed. That's your first option. Number two is that you can pridefully deny and rebel. I believe that every day that we get up, every day that we live, we actually make this decision whether we know it or not. Like, you've all been making this decision every day for a very long time, whether you've known it or not. Whether you come up against who God is and you humble yourself and you submit to who he is or you say, God, I got it. I'm good. Every single day. And I believe that God is calling us to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves. We're very prideful people. We're very prideful people. And whenever somebody says something that comes up against what we think we have decisions to make. We have choices that we have to make. And, and the beautiful thing about God is that he gives us that decision. He's given us a free will. He's given us the ability to accept him or reject him. He doesn't force you. God does, right now, Jesus doesn't say, bow your knee to me right now. He says, I love you. 
I'm gonna give myself for you. This is the example that I'm laying out for you, but you have a decision to make. Are you gonna humble yourself or are you gonna pridefully deny who Jesus is? And I think that for us today, we have to come up against this. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I blessed? Like, do I understand my spiritual bankruptcy? Do I, does, is it a reality in my life? Because the Bible says that the kingdom of God is made up of people who understand that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. And just ask God to search your heart. For some of you, you realize that you've been in a place of pride. You've been making decisions based upon your own, your own effort, your own understanding. You feel like you got it figured out. And today, Jesus, in, in the way that only he can do it, has just opened your eyes a little bit more to the reality of where you're at. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a life that we could not live. He lived a perfect life. The thing that you've been trying to do so well, Jesus lived that life morally perfect as God. And what he did is he then submitted himself to his own creation. And he took on sin, the sin that you and me commit. He took that upon himself and he allowed himself to be sacrificed, his blood to be shed for the payment of that sin. And today we can freely accept him humbly. All we have to do is surrender. So right now I wanna pray for those of you who are far from God. You know that today you don't have a relationship with him, but today you wanna put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You don't have to say a perfect prayer. There's not like a ritual to this. It's just, it's just you and God. He knows you. Just say, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. God, I humbly accept who you are. I humbly accept what you've done for me. I lay aside my effort and I receive your mercy and your grace. I believe in Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness for me. Come on right now, and all of, all of us in our own words, just begin to say, Jesus, just help me, Father. Open up my heart and my mind to see who you are. God, for all of us, God, would you help us to realize that we're spiritually bankrupt apart from you. God, but Father, but because of your goodness, because of who you are, your faithfulness, Lord, you've revealed this to us. And so Jesus, today, we are here and we are blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, we thank you that we are a part of your kingdom, that we have been redeemed. We're grateful today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're not quite done yet. I wanna give a couple of instructions and then I wanna, I wanna say a couple of more things about how do we live based upon this? But number one is this, if you're in this place today and you said that prayer, today it's just, you feel like your eyes are opened. I wanna encourage you to take a next step. 
We believe as Christians that whenever we make a decision to follow Jesus and we repent of our sin and we turn from unrighteousness to, to Jesus, that we've started a journey, that we've kind of, it's a new chapter. And so as the body of Christ, the, the family of believers, we want to come alongside you and help you in that. And so earlier you heard Scott talk about the Next Steps card in your seat pocket in front of you. Love to invite you to take that card and indicate today that you made a decision to follow Jesus. And take that card and bring it to the back of the room. And, uh, and, and we'd love to give you some next steps as you begin this journey. Also at the end of the service, we're gonna have a prayer team at the front of the room. And I believe that a lot of you are going through a lot of different things in your life. And the thing that you haven't done about that thing is you haven't truly prayed. You haven't prayed about it. It's just been you and your grit and you've been toughing it out. You've been clenching your jaws and just making it happen. Why don't you today realize that you're spiritually bankrupt apart from God and cry out for help in that area. We've got some prayer people that are gonna be up here at the front. Come and take advantage of that. Come up here and get prayer at the end of the service. But the thing that I wanna say is this, I wanna ask you this question. How do I live based upon this? How do I live based upon this truth? And John, if you go back to that, that slide a couple of slides ago, ma'am. How do I live based upon this truth? The first thing is this is that we trust in God. We trust in God. You see, whenever you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you must, that that trust that you've had in your own effort has to be transferred to something or someone. Don't transfer it to your spouse, okay? Don't transfer it to your career. Don't transfer it to something here. Transfer it to God, the author and the finisher of your faith, your life, the author of your story, the creator of everything that we see and know. Trust in Him. Spiritually bankrupt people trust in God. They're dependent upon Him. Number two is this, is that I believe that spiritually bankrupt people, blessed people, that we go in the power of the Holy Spirit to the poor in spirit. We trust in God personally, yes, but we go, we go. We spend our lives going to those who are poor in spirit, just like Jesus did. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are in this world with a purpose to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of what we've talked about today, what we've sang about today, about Jesus defeating death in the grave. And we, as people who are poor in spirit, humble, realizing that we are fully dependent upon God, now we go to those around us who we know are in the same exact place. Are y'all with me on that? This is our purpose. This is what we do. Don't let that be distracted from or, or, or be clouded out by all the things that you're going through in your life. Are those things important? Absolutely. We should have wisdom and discernment and we should be fully engaged in our family and in our careers and in our, in our lives. But we've also got to realize that at the same exact time that we are to go, we are to be a disciple of Jesus.